I've got some questions. All right. I, actually, I asked members of uh, my locals group and a few other groups, what would be your question you'd want to ask? And I was really shocked because the most common one was from people that haven't started in the gym. So I'm going to, I'm going to start you off with actually some really easy ones, I think. How's, how do you get started at the gym? I mean, honestly, I always just say progress over perfection. Like when you get in, I mean, it's kind of like people that are getting into the keto space, the low carb carnivore space, having followed a standard American diet. Like if you go online, you're going to be inundated with a bunch of information, much of which is conflicting. And that can seem daunting and overwhelming. But same is true with the gym. Like if you go in there, there's a million different ways to do things. There's going to be a million different people telling you to do things differently. But movement, progressing the overload, and just simply being active is key. So if you have no place to start from, then get in there and simply do some body weight movements, do some push-ups, some sit-ups, do some machines, something that's going to minimize risk of injury. And then you can graduate to, you know, compound lifts, free weights, and things of that nature afterwards. But don't overthink the training. Like I've always followed a very simple, basic training formula. And the equipment that I use is very very primitive as well. Like it, you don't have to have all the bells and whistles to see results with training. Yeah. And I, I just want to echo that my most popular training program has eight exercises in it mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's designed for people that have no clue. They don't want to look like Arnie. They don't want to look like a bag of walnuts is in their shirt. You know, they, yeah. they just want to look better. So I think, I think that's a great answer. Um, so here's another golden one. How often should I work out? So this one has a lot of debate, um, depending on what the goals are. The goals are going to shape the answers for sure. Because, I mean, if someone's going to try and become a competitive bodybuilder, the answer's going to be different than someone's just trying to simply be healthy. Um, but naturally, uh, you, you are going to want to have a little bit more training frequency, but not so much to the point that you're minimizing your rate of recovery. Like a lot of these people that are abusing drugs, they're able to recover much, much faster than those that are not. So you do have to give your body ample time to truly recover, making sure your sleep and nutrition and everything is dialed in. Uh, But generally speaking, if you're targeting a given muscle group, you know, every probably two times a week would be sufficient for most people. Uh, If you're going incredibly high with the intensity, you could probably get by with once a week. But generally speaking, two times a week from a training frequency standpoint works pretty good for each given. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we will we will get onto more nuanced and more um, sort of highfalutin types of training, but this is for people just starting out, and um, I love it. So, yep, here's a golden question about nutrition: What should I eat before and after a workout? So, I generally train in the morning, and I'm generally training fasted. I actually didn't train fasted today for the first time in a long time. Uh, but I prefer training fast, and then I'll have a meal within about two hours post-training. Uh, as far as the type of food, you want to make sure you're getting ample proteins and fats. Carbs are not necessary. A lot of people go the route of targeted keto where they'll have some strategic carbs around their workouts, but I've never really found the need to do that myself. So I just try and get fat for an energy source and protein for a recovery source You know, within two hours post-training and then enough throughout the remainder of the day so that I'm able to repair and recover that tissue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a good fat and protein source two hours after training, you're pretty good to go. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, let's get me back on the screen because people don't like a, a, a voice from nowhere. Um, 
How should you warm up before a workout? So I've actually been doing a lot of the uh, the knees over toes program by Ben Patrick. So I'll do 10, 15 minutes prior to training. I'll go through and cycle through a few of his movements just to kind of get some some blood flowing into the region. And then when it comes to the target muscle you're going to train, I like to do some lighter sets of the same exercise movement to just kind of prepare my body for that movement. I don't do a whole lot of static stretching. I don't really recommend a ton of static stretching because you don't want to elongate the muscles to the point where they become loose. Um, You actually want to maintain some of that rigidity. So I'll do dynamic stretching in which I'm performing the same movement I'm about to do with load, but at a body weight or a very decreased load prior to actually performing the movement. So just for those that really have no idea what you mean by dynamic stretching, that means stretching that's moving, not yeah. sort of not standing there doing this. Yeah, yeah. I don't do like a whole lot of, you know, touch your toes for three minutes or anything like that. <laughs> um the knees over toes guy, if if you're if you have a a way to get him onto my show, I'd love to because I think he's yeah. brilliant. I like his rehab. Stuff. Yeah. I mean my my knees I've never I've been fortunate enough to not have any massive issues from a injury standpoint, but I have noticed that since incorporating just some of his basic movements for mobility, my, my knees do seem more resilient. So he's a great guy, a great resource for sure. Yeah, he is uh, fantastic. Okay. Um, right. Specific muscle groups. So we've got three that people ask about, uh, the guys, <laughs> so it's going to be arms. So, we will say they should have asked maybe bicep or tricep. So these are people that haven't worked out. So they said arms. What's the best exercise for arms? But we'll say biceps and triceps. Yeah, well, the tricep makes up about 60, 65% of the arms. So a lot of people just go in, they do curls, but they don't really pay the tricep any mind. And you're only going to capitalize on growing less than half of your arm in that case. So you definitely got to make sure you get the triceps in. And with triceps, I really recommend movements that engage the long head of the tricep all the more. So doing something like a skull crusher is probably, like if I could pick one tricep, it would probably be a skull crusher, like a dumbbell or cable skull crusher, which I'm getting full range of motion, targeting that long head and doing something of that nature. For biceps, um, hammer curls and just a simple alternating dumbbell curl is probably my go-to. And with arm training specifically, the arms are a smaller muscle group than back and legs, for instance. So I'll typically focus more on a little bit more volume, a little bit higher rep count, and just forcing as much blood into that region as possible. Cool. Robert, you're doing brilliant. Um, okay. We'll come on to the ladies' question. Um, more females ask this than, than males. Although a couple of males did. Glutes. What's the best exercise for glutes? All right. So for the ladies, you're going to get that booty by not doing all the crazy booty movements that you see everybody doing online on Instagram with fancy bands and stuff like that. Like the key to a well-developed butt and derriere is to just simply do quality deep squats. Go full range of motion, ideally below parallel, go heavy and just do squats like that. I mean, I've got a pretty impressive booty. I'm not going to lie. And it's because of the squats and I don't do any of those fancy movements, just basic compound movements. Excellent. And the final one is chest. What do you feel is the best exercise for chest? So my chest is my weak point. A lot of that's going to be genetic, but uh, I always have the best luck with dumbbell movements over barbell. You're going to have more range of motion. You're going to get a deeper stretch. 
Uh, so just a simple dumbbell press is really good, like a dumbbell bench press. Um, and then I like, uh, I like, I mean, you, you've got like the incline presses, the decline presses, the decline presses are going to be really good for overall chest development. Uh, but just sticking with dumbbells and sticking with that full range of motion with something as simple as a dumbbell press is going to be my go-to. That's superb. Right. So you, you sort of snuck in there that chest is not your strong point. So why do you think that is? I think for me, it's mostly genetic. I don't train it any less intense. I mean, honestly, I train it harder than other regions to kind of make up for that. But uh, And it's grown quite a bit over the past two years. So I think mine's mostly genetic-based as to why it's not as prominent as my other body parts. But, um, but yeah, chest is a tricky one. Like that That's one that a lot of people do suffer injuries from in the shoulder region because they're improper form with their chest movements. But um, that's something that I got to work on. That's my weak spot for sure. Yeah, and it's really refreshing, you see, because people who've seen Robert's images will think, well, this guy's near perfection, but we all realize what our weak areas are, and it's best to own up to them. I would also say don't get hung up on being totally symmetrical because my biceps are completely different, mm-hmm. um, but I train them exactly the same, and obviously I'm eating the same for both biceps. So don't don't sweat too much if uh, things aren't wonderfully symmetrical. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, and the other thing is just for people watching live, obviously we haven't got the graphics, but I will be putting in graphics for these exercises if you want to, you know, understand what uh, Robert means by deep squat, going lower than parallel. We'll, we'll add lots and lots of uh, information on that. Now, the, now the seventh question was, um, what's the best way to lose fat and gain muscle now i've shortened that because most people don't think that's true you can do that but of course i've done that you've done that i think many people have proven that you can gain muscle and lose fat at the same time so what do you think is the best way to do that the best way to do that would be to not try and do that at the same time you know i think there you can do that but they're they're not really going to be optimized if you're trying to do both because they somewhat compete for one another. In order to optimize tissue growth, muscle growth, you're going to want to be in a caloric surplus. In order to optimize tissue loss, uh, so fat loss, you're going to want to be in a caloric deficit. So they kind of compete for each other in that regard. So I have dedicated building and cutting phases. It takes time to build muscle, so I'll make sure that that building phase is exponentially longer than the cutting phase. And then when in a cutting phase, I try and optimize for muscle preservation more so than uh, muscle accumulation. That way I can just maximize my fat loss potential and then get back into the building phase. So I kind of agree on your question there, but hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, this is one of the things I talk about cross-canceling when people want to gain muscle, but they're also out doing lots of endurance. Mm-hmm. And I say, you've, you've got to see what is your goal. Do you want to be a 100-meter sprinter? Or do you want to be a, a marathon runner? And I use that because it's very visual. You know, 100-meter sprinter is bulky and muscular and a uh, marathon runner looks like they need a good meal, you know, so uh, which is not knocking them, but they're, they're not as muscular. So I, I try to get to people, if you really want to just be big, if you're looking for size, then you don't want to be doing, you know, you work out in the gym and then running for 10 miles because you are is counterproductive. And the same thing there where you're saying about losing fat and gaining muscle at the same time, um, it does depend on what you're after, isn't it? I mean, if you're just trying to look slightly better in clothes, it's probably not as important as yeah, yeah. Um, using it in the show. 
And if you're 35% body fat, then you probably don't want to be eating at a massive surplus in hopes of building more muscle because there is a point of diminishing returns with how heavy you allow yourself to get. I mean, you still want to have a good cardiovascular base and be healthy in the context of both the building and cutting phase. So there is there is a yin and yang there, though, for sure. Yeah. Now, the next question is a real reflection on the fact that I do a lot of stuff about rehab. Uh how can I prevent injury while working out? Uh, honestly, just this sounds uh, super simple, but maintain proper form. A lot of people, when they start increasing the intensity, their form gets sloppy and they can't control the weight properly. That's where the injuries occur. I mean, you want to make sure you're getting ample recovery time between training sessions. You're going to want to make sure you're getting uh, enough nutrition to recover from those training sessions. But Simply maintaining proper form during those training sessions is paramount, especially with the compound movements like deadlifts. If you're going too heavy on deadlifts, your back starts rounding and you start removing where the the weight is supposed to be focused, then you're going to risk injury and pull something and put you out of the gym that much longer. So going intense enough to stimulate growth, but not so much that form is sacrificed and you risk unnecessary injuries is the key there. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is this is one of my um, areas that I really enjoy. I have lower back specialism um, as, as part of what I did when I did my advanced personal training certificate. And I got hung up on rehab and injury prevention to the point where my tutor said, you can't answer every question mm-hmm. in the exam about injury prevention. And I said, well, actually, if you're injured, you can't do any of the other stuff. So you yeah, so, uh, right. Now then, um, I think you've coached a lot of people. I'm sure this question has come up. How long will it take to see results? I mean, you could see results much quicker than people realize. I mean, you could you could feel results within 24 hours, you know, if like a GI standpoint. I mean, you can see results very quickly. Uh, when it comes to totally transforming your body's composition, you know, it took me... Uh, 33 weeks to get from my starting uh, weight and body fat percentage of about 15, 16% down to 3%. I could have done that quicker, but I would have sacrificed more muscle in the process. Uh, So a a prep for me in which my primary goal is fat loss and getting as lean as possible is generally four to six months. And then I reverse that out of that. So, um, that seems like a long time for some, but four to six months is a blink of an eye in the grand scheme of a lifetime. So uh, don't be dissuaded from putting in that time and just simply making the habit an enjoyable lifestyle factor. Like if you're doing it every day anyways, the results will come and it will happen without you even dreading it. So that's what I always tell people. Yeah, and I I think one of the things when you're a beginner – oh, I'd love to be a beginner again because Mm -hmm. if you you put the work in, within six weeks, there will be a difference that virtually everyone will notice. Yeah, those beginner gains are no joke. All that being a new stimulus to the body, the body responds very quickly for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that I wanted to sort of globally say and see what your views are, this is what I say to virtually everybody that signs, well, actually everybody that signs up for, for personal training. If your nutrition is not on point, you're not going to get the results that you really want. You do have to think there's a lot of truth in the phrase. You can't out-train a bad diet. So, yeah, you're going to cover up some of the, you know, some of the things by doing a bit of working out. But if your nutrition is not there, it, it's going to make things really tough for you. What, what do you think? 
Yeah, people always ask, you know, if if it's, is it 50% training, 50% nutrition, 80%, 20%? It's like, you got, you got to change the frame of thought. It's 100% nutrition, 100% training. Like, if you're going to put the time in the gym, but then your nutrition is totally subpar and an afterthought, then you're just wasting that time in the gym. Yeah, you'll see some results, but if you're not consuming ample protein, ample dietary fat, ample calories in general, then you're just simply not going to maximize the output of the training effort. So really taking a holistic approach is key. Yeah. And I think this is that you hit the nail on the head there with a little thing you snuck in, but under eating as well. People under eating is, is, is problematic. When I was contemplating doing an ultra marathon, I asked one of the people that had done many ultra marathons, what sort of percentage was it with nutrition and training? And he said, uh, well, actually it's 90% in here yeah. and the other 10, the other 10%, that's in here. Instant shift. Right. Now, I mean, that's that's good. I've done my job there. I've covered the beginners. Uh, the other thing is, I asked people that had been training for a long time what they would say and what they would ask. So this would be interesting because I think this is more where you're at. Because you know, most people that sign up with you, I I think, sort of trained a bit already. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a here's a great question, and I think this question fits with everything, nutrition and training as well. But how can I break through a fitness plateau and continue making progress? And, I, you know, I've been there, definitely. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when it comes to plateaus, you just need to subject your body to some form of new stimuli. That could be in the, the form of nutrition. Uh, maybe you're not getting ample calories, ample, ample total fuel coming in. Uh, maybe you're getting too much. Uh, when it comes to training, I just simply like to change the style of training. And a lot of people make the mistake of changing that too frequently. They'll do like a, a six-week program and then they'll, they'll mix it up and they'll think that they've plateaued after six weeks. Whereas in reality, that may not likely be the case. I mean, I'll oftentimes stick with a training program for months at a time, but I will be changing it on an acute basis by increasing the progressive overload as readily as I'm able. So increasing the weight lifted, the reps, maybe adding some forced reps, some drop sets, some superset, things of that nature, but sticking with those same movements for quite a bit of time. You don't need to change up the actual movements that much. Um, But you might want to focus on having more of an explosive period of training where you're focusing on, you know, lifting that weight as quickly as possible with good form. You may want to have a period of time where you're doing more endurance-based training, more strength-based training, more hypertrophy-based training, but just simply changing that factor intermittently is likely going to be enough to move people past that plateau and give their body enough of a new stimuli to give it reason to change. Yeah, the training response is um, really important. I think I have some people come straight to mind who overtrain. They love it and then they do too much and they don't recover, which is a segue to the next question. And it's something I think everybody who's trained uh, has experienced at some point, uh, and I liked the way it was worded by one particular person. Are there specific strategies for optimizing recovery and managing soreness after intense workouts? So honestly, sleep and ample nutrition, I keep going back to ample nutrition, but I see so many people that are under eating or eating too much of the wrong things and not enough of the right things. But sleep is key. And I mean, sleep is something like that's thrown around a lot and everybody knows it to be true, but we inherently don't act upon that truth. And I am hundred percent guilty of this. I mean, I don't get near enough sleep. Uh, I try to maximize the quality of my sleep because the quantity is subpar, 
but simply getting enough quality sleep is key. And then doing things that allow you to truly recover. So we spend so much of our time in this sympathetic state where we're constantly triggered, we have distractions. And if you're in that state around your food consumption, then your food absorption is going to be hindered as well. So one thing that I've been incorporating a lot of lately is just simply returning to a parasympathetic state prior to consuming any of my nutrients so that I can maximize the absorption of those nutrients. I feel like that is something that can easily be done through 10 minutes of, uh, you know, breathing prior to eating a meal. Uh, Something of that nature would work well. Um, Making sure you are getting that sleep. There's all kinds of different sleep remedies you can do. Cold, dark setting, uh, thermal regulation, things of that nature. A lot of the the more sexier things you see thrown around today is like cold immersion and heat therapy. And there's some pretty compelling evidence to suggest that could be beneficial from a recovery standpoint. Um, I've actually got a cold plunge that I'm going to be setting up today. And my cold plunge is simply a horse trough with cold water and it's so nothing fancy. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can, you can incorporate things like that to help with recovery. But if you're not injured, then your re- need for recovery is also going to be reduced. So just training intently, uh, you know, properly is going to minimize the need for specific recovery tactics as well. Yeah. Do you think the cold plunge is superior to a cold shower, for instance? Yeah. From a, from a metabolic and hormonal, hormonal standpoint, for sure. I mean, if you're in a shower and you're just in there for a few minutes at, you know, brisk temperatures, that's not going to be nearly as beneficial from a um, brown fat generation standpoint as actually being submerged. Everything I've read says that you need to be submerged pretty much up to your neck in a cold plunge to really maximize the brown adipose tissue generation. Um, and there's varying degrees of how long you should be submerged. I think most of the research suggests 11 minutes a week total. I believe that's what I see tossed around quite a bit. Uh, so you can kind of break that up however you see fit. Um, so that's kind of what I personally try to incorporate. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say a cold shower works for me because I haven't got the money or the room to get a horse trough outside. So yeah. it's a good halfway house, but if I could have a cold plunge, I definitely would, uh, you know, agree with you. That would be better, but I okay. think, sorry, you can say. No, I, I just totally agree with you. Oh, right. Thank you. Right. Okay. Big, big question from the preloaded questions. Then we got one coming in live, but um, I, I love this question because I think this, this just applies to everything in life. But anyway, this was, what are some effective ways to stay motivated and consistent with your fitness regime? This is a deep question for sure. So you have to have a compelling reason, in my opinion, that is deeper than just a superficial surface level selfish reason. So for me, I found the most um, confidence in my ability to adhere to a training nutrition program when I recognized that what I was doing was beyond just my own selfish desires of looking good without a shirt on. Once I recognized that I was having a positive impact on the community and was able to inspire, educate, and motivate others, that gave me reason to stick with it. Once I had a son, that was quite compelling as well because I wanted to ensure that I was going to be the very best father I could be for him for years to come. Uh, so that's one of my main motivating factors. The fact that I'm seen as someone in the space that people look to for inspiration is a motivating factor. 
and just simply wanting to be better on a day-to-day basis. Like you have a finite period of time on this planet. You can choose to live that in a very unhealthy manner that is going to lead to your demise and reduce the quality of your life as you age, which we will all do. Or you can do so in a way that instills the fountain of youth, so to speak. Like if you are getting better every single day, which you can certainly do with proper nutrition and training, then every day is an opportunity to get better. And I think if you go through life with that lens, you're excited about putting in the work. And it's not even work at that point. It's something that you take great pleasure and passion in. Yeah, I think it is a deep question, and it's it's one that really resonated with me recently. Um, I think possibly um, because of the restrictions, I started to train differently. So I had the X3, which which I think is a brilliant bit of kit. So the, the next thing I'm going to say isn't how bad the X3 is. It's actually a brilliant bit of kit. And I did it for two years, and then when I went back to the gym, what I'd noticed is I've got a little bit comfortable because I didn't have to travel anywhere which sounds like a benefit. I didn't have to get up early. I could do it whenever I liked, which sounds like a benefit. But then I decided I missed some of the sort of camaraderie and the the nodding and seeing somebody that you know six weeks ago couldn't do a pull-up because you go about the same time and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, I started to go early morning to the gym like I used to many years ago. But it had this sort of ripple effect throughout my entire life which I didn't expect, and it just it got me out of bed earlier. And, it, mm. and I marvel at the sky in the morning and how beautiful it was and how quiet it was. You know, I, I work out fasted, same as you. So 6.30, I'm in the gym, and then you start, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is really great. And you seem to have more time, even though you're actually – putting time towards that because it the rest of your life has more structure and you work around the gym times which is not i'm not obsessed by any shape or form of you know i don't have to go to the gym but i really enjoy it but it's definitely helped other things in my life it definitely has it's made me more positive it's made me appreciate the nature more it's made me go out when it Maybe I wouldn't because, well, you know, I can do the X3. It's nice and warm here. Why do I need to do that? Um, and I just think that motivation into other areas of my work, the you know, content creation, my relationship, my dog, everything. I mean, when you talk yeah. about your son, it it that's a beautiful reason, isn't it? To, to stay fit, to live as long as possible, to be a great role model, you know, and all those sort of things. I think yeah, we, uh, that's wonderful. Train. And when you are on top of your nutrition, like it, it creates a vehicle for you to exercise more self-discipline, more hard work, more consistency. And that spills over into every area of your life outside of the compositional changes. I mean, everything starts to improve. You start to appreciate things. You start to experience more gratitude. And you recognize that there is like the fruits of your labor. You recognize that when you put your mind and body towards something, you see the benefit and then you just become that much more confident that that holds true with other areas of your life as well. So you tend to take more of an intentional approach to living. And I think that has been key. Whenever I find myself depressed or in a dark spot, if I simply adhere to what I've done with my training and nutrition, then I've got a solid foothold that I can use to crawl out of whatever hell I then find myself in. Because if I've got that solid footing, then I've got a foundation to pull from. I think, yeah, I think also the th- the feeling of 
control is good because if you're in a world where everything's driving you crazy, you know, your boss, you don't like your boss or whatever, you can control the food you eat. You can control your fitness. You can control your working out. And it gives you that element, I think, of I'm taking control of my life. And then it does spill out into other other areas, definitely. Right, let's let's whiz through um, just a couple of comments. Vitalizers is a big fan of Robert Sykes. We all are. Um, I don't know if you know that name, by the way. Awesome. Uh, I'm mean, I can't pronounce this name. It's a big new. I think uh, hit the like button. Yes, absolutely. Pursuit of bliss. Hey, all. Uh, terrible um, accent there. Somebody, I think you know Jonathan there. Carnival Muscle. Yeah, all right, we actually got a podcast with him uh, coming up here soon. So yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's, he is a great guy. Um, right. Helen Forrest is saying, I'm a 53-year-old postmenopausal woman trying to get in shape and lose weight. Started working with a trainer who wants me to have lots of complex carbs in, and I think that is a minimal protein in order to build muscle. Minimal protein. Uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, there's a two parts to this. Um, I keep trying to train faster than eat carnival, but I'm so winded. And he said, that's why I'm not eating enough carbs. And he wants me to sip on fruit smoothies while I'm working out. Yeah, I would probably fire that trainer. I don't think they know what they're talking about there. I mean, honestly, yeah, we don't have a a carbohydrate problem. We, ha- we do have a carbohydrate problem in this society. But from a biological standpoint, your lack of energy does not stem from a lack of carbohydrate consumption, especially if you're consuming copious amounts of it. If you're not eating enough protein, you're not going to be able to recover. You're not going to have the amino acids coming in to build and repair that muscle tissue from the training. And from an energy standpoint, you either got fat to pull from, dietary fat or stored fat or carbohydrates. Um, And if you become fat adapted and have proper functioning fat metabolism, then I would suggest preferentially to use fat as opposed to carbohydrates. Um, And you can do that from both stored and dietary fat. So I would not suggest the smoothies and increasing carbohydrates further. I would basically do the opposite of that, increase your protein and drop that dietary carbohydrate. Yeah, and I'm going to echo that 100%. But thank you, Helen, for that question. Um, And this is um, Ayana. I am so quad dominant. Squats are not my favorite for glutes. I like glute bridges and deadlifts. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly target the glutes more specifically with glute bridges and deadlifts. Uh, squats are going to incorporate a lot more quadriceps is for sure. I've actually been doing a lot more uh, barbell hip thrusts myself, and I do like those quite a bit. You can certainly feel that in the glutes. Cool. Yeah, I, I actually not overly worried about people doing squats, but I quite like split squats. Mm-hmm. You know, I quite like that as a as a, as an option for people, but I'm also into plyometrics. I like I like box jumps and stuff like that for my glutes. I yeah. don't know. Jumps are great. Box jumps are great. Like the explosive side too. Like the explosivity that we have as we're younger is one of the first things that goes as we age. So training with the intention of maintaining that explosiveness factor is key. And box jumps are probably one of the most effective and efficient ways of doing so. Yeah, I'm, I really got into the box jumps actually, and um, love I, I love them. But anyway, it's all about you answering the questions, not me rabbiting on. So here's a nice question that's come in, um, not through uh, Streamyard. Anyway, how do I incorporate some methods to 
increase my flexibility? Which I think is a really interesting question because people do worry that they're going to, the old fashioned expressions get muscle bound and, and their joints are going to um, sort of seize up and they'll walk around like they've got two carpets under their arms. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I've, I've never really trained for flexibility specifically. I just train with full range of motion through my resistance training. And that has afforded me great flexibility because if you're training with full range of motion, then you're taking that muscle those tendons, the joints, everything through their entire capable range. And I, just as an anecdote for myself, like I'm able to do the complete splits and I've never trained for the splits. I just simply train with full range of motion and I've, have been afforded that flexibility. So simply doing that is going to be key. Yes. Um, there is a question here but they haven't put where their goal is. It says, what type of diet and nutrition plan should I follow to support my fitness goals? So what's what's the sort of general thing if someone comes to you and says, I just want to get fitter, I want to lose a bit of weight, I want to look okay in clothes, um, can you suggest a nutrition plan? What yeah, would you a really high-level view, just simply eat real food. You know, like we, we can go down the rabbit hole on – carbohydrate consumption, macronutrient distribution, caloric intake, all of that stuff. But from a very high level view, just simply eating real food is going to benefit the, the masses more so than anything else. I mean, there's so much like manufactured processed junk out there that is not contributing to your overall wellness. If you just simply remove that and eat things that are found in nature, so quality fats, quality proteins, and the carbohydrates that you do consume, if you are consuming those, make sure they're quality sources, which is going to rule out all the highly processed, um, highly inflammatory, most of these super high starchy carbohydrates by default, you're likely going to see an incredible benefit towards your health. Yeah, I, I think we will do the rabbit hole bit, Robert, if, you, if you're okay with that. Because one question that does come up, or I'll get comments on YouTube, you can't build muscle without carbohydrates. That's, that's the sort of comment I get. Uh, I just had a, a, li a little to and fro with a lovely person telling me how wrong I am about everything. So uh, what's your opinion? Do you have to have carbs to build muscle? No, certainly not. I haven't had carbohydrates in eight plus years, and I've certainly put on muscle in that time frame. I mean, the main thing about building muscle is to be taking in a surplus of fuel, so ample nutrition there, ample protein, ample recovery, and ample training stimulus. Like if you are checking those boxes, your body will build muscle. A lot of people that argue that you have to have carbohydrates are coming at it from an insulin standpoint. You have to have these massive surges in insulin to add more tissue. But that's not the case. I mean, you, if you're eating ample protein, uh, triggering the muscle properly and, and doing those factors right, checking those boxes, you're going to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and you will add more lean tissue. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that this is the thing. Um, I was told to educate myself, by the way, <laughs> when I was told. Yeah, that there's I was a lot of armchair quarterbacks out there that want to how to do things. <laughs> yeah, but, um, a lot of haters. There is, and it, it, it's very interesting because there's people like yourself who are proof that you don't. Absolutely. Uh, I do find it entertaining. It never annoys me, actually. It just it does entertain me. I mean, I was quite 
narrow-minded when I first started out and I really believed all the hype, the high-carb diet. And, you know, when I did my bodybuilding show at 24, I thought I was the bee's knees. I thought I knew everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get older and realize you don't know anything. You've got to keep... The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is that is my phrase as well. Um, I learn something new every day and then I think, wow, that's nine things I don't know about and I need to find out about those other things. So it all makes sense. Um, right. Oh, here we go. Um, how do I get abs? <laughs> how do you get abs? So everybody's got abs. Uh, everybody's got abs. Now, you may be asking, how do you make your abs visible? In which case, the answer is simply to lose the abdominal belly fat. Um, and that's going to mostly be in the kitchen more so than in the gym per se. A lot of people don't even train abs because you're bracing your core quite a bit through a lot of your compound movements, especially like when you're doing squats, uh, you know, you're bracing your core, hopefully, uh, you're bracing your core through everything really. I mean, the core is going to be a fairly developed muscle group for anybody that's doing any form of resistance training. You can certainly do movements that, pronunciate that like a hanging leg raise or something that totally elongates uh, the muscle fibers and allows you to have a full range of motion with the abdominal cavity. But as far as making the abs visible, it's going to be more so a matter of just losing the body fat, which is going to be predominantly a result of dialing in the macronutrient intake and training such to lose body fat. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that is a golden question. And again, go back to nutrition abs are made in the kitchen it's yes it's a meme but it is true you know you're not going to see your abs if you're eating the wrong things now in the uk we have a thing called couch to 5k which is a sort of national health servicing and um it's it's very popular i quite like it i think it's a good idea to get people off the sofa as we call it or the couch as they say in america um but the question is about running so somebody is trying to learn to run 5k or maybe 10k can the gym and working out benefit somebody that is trying to improve their running? Yeah. So kind of what I was saying earlier, if you're training, you know, to full range of motion, that's going to improve your flexibility, which is also going to improve your likelihood of being more resilient in running. Uh, plus, it's going to strengthen your your skeletal structure. It's going to make improve your bone density. It's going to improve your joint function all of which is going to benefit running. I am not a runner by trade by any means, but I have done quite a few running stints, and all of my running has been improved by my weight training. Now, that said, that you're not going to want, like you were saying earlier, if you're trying to become the best bodybuilder you can be, you're probably not going to want to run countless marathons and vice versa. But yeah, there's certainly a, a realm or a window in which they are mutually beneficial for sure. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to you then. Let's go back to your journey. What do you see yourself doing in the future? Because this this being the leanest man in the world type thing is 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 quite a tough call. What's going to happen after that? <laughs> so the the competitions are done. I finished my last competition on the nineteenth of November. So now I'm in the reverse diet phase. So I'm ramping my intake back up to try and improve my uh, hormonal function, my metabolic function, improve and increase my metabolic rate and build more lean tissue going into the building phase. So the next foreseeable future for me is going to be consisted of lifting heavier, eating more food, uh, recovering, getting more sleep, and then just kind of returning to a healthy body fat. Like being sub 4% body fat is impressive, but it's not sustainable. It's not optimal from a hormonal standpoint or a health standpoint. 
Uh, so healthfully reversing out of this deficit is is where I'm at right now. So where would you say a healthy um, percentage would be for the average person who wants to look good, though? Yeah, I mean, from a from my standpoint and for most males, you know, if you're between like 12 and 15, 16% body fat, that's a pretty reasonable, healthy body fat percentage. At that body fat, you can still, you're likely taking in enough food to build more tissue. Uh, you're not so low on your intake that you're going to likely experience many hormonal issues. Um, but yeah, I would say between like 12 and 15% is a pretty good window for most guys. Females is a little bit higher, uh, probably between 22 uh, 28%. That That's a pretty healthy range for most females. Why do you think they need a higher body fat percentage then? Uh, a lot of different factors. I mean, from a hormonal standpoint, they're going to benefit from that higher body fat percentage. Plus, they're, I mean, they've got a menstrual cycle. They, they rear children. They have pregnancy. They have all these things that us guys would have to fool around with. Uh, and all that's going to require a little bit higher body fat percentage as well. Great. Robert, um, that's been such a quick fire 45 minutes. I really appreciate you doing that. And I think everybody that submitted questions and I had a few comments saying you'll never get, get through all the questions, but I wanted to tonight. So I definitely did do that. So every question that was submitted, we've answered. And I might have paraphrased a group of questions because they, they ended up being very similar. I think when it comes to training, there are a lot of influences that really do overcomplicate it. And you're right. You can go on and you can see some crazy things being said about the body and glycogen. And um, I've got, I'm thinking of one particular one that's really got, got a lot of traction. And it's just rubbish, most of it. it. It's so simple, isn't it, what you want to do when you're training, eat, yeah, food, work out, lift heavy things and work out so and, you know you've worked out. And do so consistently. I mean, people, yeah. they'll jump from one, you know, over-sensationalized program to the next every other week. And that's not going to be what you want to do. I mean, simply sticking to the basics, but doing so over years. I mean, that's where the fruits of the labor really shine through. So if people want you to hook up with you, what's what's the best way for them to... Uh, take advantage of your knowledge. Uh, so I am Keto Savage on all things social and the interwebs. KetoSavage.com is my website. Uh, Keto Savage on social. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a course right now. That'll be under Keto Bodybuilding. Um, but all things Keto Savage is where you'll find me. Excellent. And um, I want to talk about the Keto Brick. Okay. For people who don't know you, a uh, little, little um, potted history of the Keto Brick. Yeah, so the Keto Brick was was never designed to be a product. It was kind of made as a way to scratch my own itch during my 2017 competition prep. I wanted to streamline my meal prep and just consume something that was ready to eat, hit the target macros, and just made life easier. Uh, so I set out to design the brick, and that's exactly what I did. People saw it online. I was documenting my prep then as well. People kept asking about it, so we rolled up our sleeves and made it into a product. But it's basically a... 1,000 calorie ketogenic shelf stable meal nutrition bar with the proper macronutrient distribution. The primary ingredient is raw organic cacao butter, which is one of the best sources of dietary fat. In my opinion, it's very high in steric acid. We have some that use a vegetable waste uh, protein powder, some that use a grass finished whey protein powder, and we're constantly coming out with new flavors, new varieties, and we make those all in house so the quality can be. 100% attested for.
Yeah. Why why stearic acid? So is that good? Yeah, stearic acid is it's a, a very shelf stable fat source. So you could something like lauric acid or you know, butter, it's gonna melt in your hand. Whereas stearic acid, cacao butter, uh, tallow, things that have a lot of stearic acid, they're not going to be as uh, susceptible to melting. So that kind of provides a shelf stability factor. But it's also incredibly well absorbed by the body. Uh, there has been some research that indicates that it actually makes the adipocyte themselves, the fat cells, more insulin resistant. And at the site, at the adipocyte, you want that to be the case. Like you don't want the fat cells themselves to be insulin sensitive. Um, so there's that. And then from an energy and just simply absorption standpoint, uh, my body tends to respond very, very well to it. Like some fat sources are heavily refined and processed and inflammatory. Not so much the case with quality steric acid. And uh, what countries can get the keto brick? So we ship them all over the world. Uh, that said, international shipping is crazy expensive. So we're trying to figure out ways to cut costs there so that people don't have to pay that much for shipping. But yeah, we sell them everywhere. Yeah. And they're fantastic. And I'm not saying that because i got Robert on. Uh, I say that when Robert's not on. I think it's one of the best things. I speak to Colt Milton about them. I think they're they're amazing. Um and I saw Sean Baker, Dr. Sean Baker, wearing a Keto Brick T-shirt today. So um, that's a good endorsement. But I'm going to say this publicly, Robert. You're one of the nicest guys I've ever ever met. I wish I could meet you in real life because um, you've really encouraged me. You know, I, I find it very difficult to get content watched and, you know, get people on. And you've been so generous and really encouraged me. It's just, uh, it's just been amazing. And I, I wanted to thank you because... I say it to everybody that does mention you, that you're one of the nicest guys around. And um, I hope at some point I'll have enough money to come fly over and annoy you in the gym one day and do a face-to-face. Hey, it would not be an annoyance whatsoever. I I genuinely enjoy that. I appreciate the opportunity to come on your platform and speak. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, by all means, just let me know. Yeah, you've been you've been a, a massive help, and it's it's been really great. And just want to thank you. You came on to the twenty uh, four hour live stream, and you know you've you've messaged me privately, and um, yeah, you've just just really been helpful. Uh, and I, I just wanted to shout you out for that. So it's good. And there were a few people saying that you know they love the keto brick, and um, we've got some people, some late arrivals, former fat girl, come in. So yes. Um, We'll wrap up there, I think, unless you've got any burning issues that you want to talk about. No, no, that's great, man. I mean, I just, I'm always excited to chat with you. I'm excited to, to go into 2024. There's so many things that we're going to be doing now that my competition season is is over and done with for the foreseeable future. So you and I both have a lot of exciting things in the pipeline. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.